0: I read a little bit about uh, figs, the filling in the gap. Can you talk to us a little oh, yeah. more about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So one of my one of my goals when I took over the pharmacy and what Tim and I have been working on and talked about it a bit, but had never really come to fruition, was to create a nonprofit for people in Wake County that couldn't um, couldn't afford medications. I get them all the time that are referred to us that can't afford their medications, and we handle it in different ways, but. There's only but so many things one pharmacy can do. And so my goal was to create a nonprofit that focused on medication education adherence in exchange for an ability to comp the patient's medication copay for them. Uh, And in my digging and doing that, I found out there was already one there. There was already a nonprofit created. And how I didn't know about it was a little disturbing because it's been going on for 20 years and there's only like three or four pharmacies involved in it. So um, reached out to them and to the, to the FIGS, FIGS is the acronym for It's called Filling in the Gaps of Wake County. And the entire purpose of it is to provide medications to patients who can't otherwise afford it. Uh, and the way that they were doing it previously is that they were, they were working with a lot of the open door um, nonprofit clinics that saw these patients and they would help set the patient up. And then the patient would get a little coupon and take it to the drugstore. And then the drugstore would provide the medication and bill the figs on the back end for it. Um, And so a few months later, I found myself on the board at figs because there was a, a a position open. And so um, now sitting on the board at figs and we're helping to working to expand that program further out into Wake County. So we are working, we've expanded to a clinic that we work with, uh, another clinic that we work with directly um, that we also uh, developed a 340B contract with. So we're now utilizing the patients and getting them better costs, but also allowing the money that FIGS provides to go further because of the 340B program. Uh, And we uh, we also developed a uh, relationship through them with mobile health unit that works throughout Wake County, providing they go to travel to a few different spots in Wake County and provide care on certain days of the week, and that was from the University of North Carolina Nursing School. And um, so we provide um, supplies to them for a lot of what they do through the same program. So it's been a, a great experience, a great learning experience. And we we we've hopefully touched a, a lot of people so far, but we're continuing to expand the program. So it's really been a, a fun adventure to be on. Again, I said I don't like to keep things the same. I got to figure out right. some way to. Well, what's cool is I,
2: I hope that people listening to this, one of the things they get, and and, and you have accessible pharmacy. You know, one of the things they should have heard is your RX count's growing. So mm-hmm. most people in COVID, RX counts were were down because people weren't getting elective surgeries, things like that. Your RX was, was growing. And, and I hope that they're also hearing how connected to the community that you are, right? I heard right. about this program and I worked to find this program and I work, you're not hanging a sign, you're not sending out postcards saying we do uh this or that. You're you're really involved with the community. And 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 that's been one of my openers, really just in the last year. Is that if a pharmacy's gonna be successful today, an independent pharmacy, they're connected in their community, and if they're not connected yep. in their community, they're not gonna be successful, right? They're just biding yep. their time till they sell that pharmacy to, to somebody yep. else.
1: And that that really kind of my my ability, or I mean, my want to do that. I, I got to give Tim White credit for that because my second year into being in partnership with him as a manager, uh, he pulled me aside. He's like, all right, you're you're trained up. We're doing things. The pharmacy is not really growing a whole lot. But if you really want to take this and make it your own, if you want to build this business, then you've got to get outside the walls of that pharmacy. There's no way to sit in here and just expect business to come to you. You've got to track it down and you've got to be a part of this community. And so I will allow you to do that, but it's up to you to figure out who to connect with. And so he gave me a couple of leads and we just kind of built it from there. And the amazing thing is that once you it's a trickle effect, but it, it started it just kind of, you know, how we got into the the lab testing, how we got into the FIGS program, how we got into the 340 beeper, all these things are, are things that have come from you know, well, I met so-and-so and they referred you over to here. Or I met this person and they knew you and they said that it might be a good thing for them to come talk to you about it. And so it's just like you you, you think that one little small connection, one small meeting with uh, a person from the city of Raleigh or from UNC or from Duke hospitals, you know, or they, they may not proliferate into anything initially, but if you meet enough people and if you have a, a a good thing that you want to bring to the community, eventually that just starts to snowball um, is what we found. And so those things you're wondering, I mean, people, you know, I, I have pharmacists that I'm connected with and they're like, how in the world did you figure out to develop that relationship with that clinic to get a three, four? How did you do that? And I was just like and and it's not like it just fell in your lap, but it sort of did because you you've worked on over the past eight to 10 years. You've been working on developing relationships within the community and those things pay off and you can't just sit there and wait for people to come to you. You got to go out there and make it happen. And that's that's the number one thing I tell people, you know, when they're like, well, you see your your script counts are you know, three times what mine are. Why is that? you're 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 you're. Your neighborhood's not a whole lot different. And I'm like, well, how are you how are you how are you marketing, but how are you reaching out to your community? You can't just sit there. You really gotta get outside the walls of your pharmacy and learn what the problems are and how you can fit into that.
2: So as a pharmacist, I'm kind of hanging my head and you said eight or ten years, but the journey of a thousand miles starts with a first step. So if you had to give two exactly. or three points to say to somebody who had a pharmacy and, and realized they need to get out. Where would you tell them to start?
1: Um, So I I think the, the place that I started was trying to figure out, okay, what is one of the major problems that I see on a daily basis? And one of the major problems that I saw was transitions of care. So transitions of care is still a major issue no matter where you go. People getting out of the hospital, people getting out of rehab, people trying to figure out what their medications look like and how those mix in with what they were on and what they're now on and being super confused about it. And so there happened to be a group for me that was like a transitions coalition in Wake County. And so it was led by rehab facilities and people that were discharge planners for that, discharge planners for hospitals and um, SNFs, so short-term nursing facilities and, and those groups. And if you have those in your area, it's a great place to start because that that those are patients that need a lot of help. And those hospitals and those, those rehab facilities, I mean, if the patient goes back to the hospital within 30 days of them being in their facility, they're going to get docked for it, right? And so they need help with it. And they may not know that you offer those services because they're not going outside the four walls of where they're at. And so starting there and, and working towards some of those people, also, you know, finding out from, your the, your community your city council what are they doing to attack certain problems and where can you fit into that you know is a great place to go with it we have several city council members that are customers of ours and we stay up to date on what those needs are we have a meeting with our with our community group um, in our little five points area of Raleigh that kind of addresses a lot of those issues, a lot of those issues okay well where as a pharmacy do I fit in there what can I do from that Calling your physicians, you know, calling your pediatricians. What are you, what are you missing that you can that I can help with? What can I do here? Oh, well, hey, we got this great adherence packaging program for your elderly patients. You know, can we, is there a way that we can work together to figure that out? Is there something that we can do? And you know, a lot I think a lot of pharmacists get frustrated because they put in a ton of time, a ton of energy talking to people. And it seems like things never come to fruition. I think the biggest mistake is that you stop, you know, when it just takes one connection to really get that going. Um, one connection can make a huge difference for you. And so the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. And you don't know what step is going to be the one where you where you cash in on on growing your business. But you can't stop. I think is the, is the point, no matter how frustrated you can, you can change how your approach is, but you can't stop.
0: So what would be your recommendation for other pharmacists about making those connections? So I assume you made some of them through the FIGS
1: board. Um, I did. Yep. I made some through the FIGS board. I made some just by uh, calling doctor's offices. We have a, we have um, prior to COVID, we have a community liaison, so uh, a marketing person who had been a marketing person for UNC nursing, so she knew how to get into physician's offices and do that. So we utilized that and that was very successful, not in getting the program signed up, but making making physicians aware and making that connection between us and what we're doing and how we can help, and maybe getting us in front of the physician at some point in time for a meeting. Um, was very beneficial um, and it's just really keeping your ear to the ground as to what problems are going on in your community and who can you talk to about potentially being uh, a solution, helpful, a helpful solution for those um, and, and just really picking it up and going from there. You just got to pick up the phone and make a call or go knock on somebody's door um, that, that makes those decisions. And a lot of times you'll get a lot of eyes wide open, like, oh, I didn't know that y'all did that. That's pretty cool um and and that's what we've seen and sometimes you get them saying yeah no we've tried that we're not gonna do that anymore and you know you get a, you get that but you just you got to keep doing it so
2: now, now what you're hearing there is you have to have a story to tell right you have you to have a good story you to can't tell. call them and tell them hey what can we do for you and they go well what do you do and you go nothing Right, you have to have yeah. the med You know, you have, you have to, to have success we can success sink, story transition of care. These are programs we're doing that, that can help.
3: What drove you to go? Look, I, I see a problem. I know they have those issues too. Let me approach them. And, and did you? And sure. you probably got cut up a little bit just talking to them. I'd imagine just because sometimes that relationship is really warm, sometimes it's not. Um, uh, but yeah, give us something on so. that. So.
4: So for me, first, I was having trouble personally as Mm -hmm. a pharmacy owner, understanding the aspects of the pharmacy, other than I'm passionate about it. I love patients. I love patient care. The other side of wholesaler, math of what is your cost of goods? uh, Those things were challenging for me you know, to understand. And I would sit with several wholesalers and everyone will tell me why the other person is actually wrong. <laughs> and I said, wow, I've, I've been able to figure out a lot of things, but it looks like this is way beyond my <laughs> comprehension. So what can I do that I have self-control, that I love, that I understand how to get paid? So that was one thing that I was searching for. But at the same time, the way I took care of patients, whether when I was at CVS or at the independent pharmacy, I always liked to loop their providers back in. Like when I found something, I would always send them a message and say, hey, by the way, did you know this patient is also seeing a psychiatrist and they're prescribing these things? So my my way of communicating was building friendships. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the providers... And I always laugh at the pharmacy. I say, oops, guess what? Doctor and so get me their cell phone now. So we are in. <laughs> we're in. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, because they start saying I provide value. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these providers were like, hey, here's my cell phone. If you ever need to ask me about my patient, just message me, mm-hmm. you know, because I was finding things that were critical right? So, so I started bypassing those faxes to a cell phone. Right. And then as pharmacy was getting tough, again, my curiosity, I just asked them, especially those who own their own practices, do they feel how I feel that they love medicine, but maybe running the medical practice is not what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So those gave us relationships to communicate. And as I figured they're as stressed as me, I was like, oh, they're as a hot mess as I am. (laughs) So you know what? Titles mean nothing. These are people. So when I started really understanding the human-to-human connection, no matter what title you hold, when you run your own business, it's hard. Mm -hmm. right? So if we can figure out a way to work together and help each other is what I was looking for. And so when I knew that was an opportunity, I, I took it and I said, okay, let's see how we can make our lives better.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny you're talking about that. And when we talked earlier this week, you said something that I thought was really important. And you're saying that pharmacists right now are focusing on the things they can't do. And your life is kind of focusing on the things that pharmacists can do. And that just kind of feeds into, you know, you found a doctor who felt the same way you did. Cool, let's do something with it. And that doesn't involve DIR fees or poor purchasing or selling. It's things that you guys can control and things that make a difference in those patients' lives.
4: Yes, because as I was searching, that was the subset of healthcare providers that literally got paid not because of goods, but because of services. And the more I learned about their services, I learned about services that they should do, but they don't, or they can't because they don't have time. And when I looked at those services, I said, that's up my alley. I can do those things for you, you know? And then I said, and I would love to do these things, but I also have to stay in business. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the part that I feel a lot of pharmacists and providers get stuck is the friend zone. Now we're friends. The
3: friend zone. I have
4: their cell phone. I love that. How do we make this a business relationship? But I want to tell you that they are very much interested in making this a business relationship. If you can show them, how? So a lot of pharmacists don't know how to show them.
3: Right, so do you think COVID and the lack of visits, has kind of increased or, or made someone have a better appetite, a, a provider having a better appetite for, for, maybe they said no before, or maybe that there was a wall there before. Do you feel like that wall's kind of coming down a little bit?
4: Yes. There's a lot of pressure right now. Okay. Uh, because of the telehealth models, mm-hmm. right? The virtual care. So providers who are so used to office visits nationally, there had been a decline right in March. There was a 70% decline in office visits. Now they're coming back up. So it's about 40 to 50%, uh, you know, that they're probably less. However, they don't know that you can solve that. Right. So immediately what we did, as soon as we saw the visits down, our team of pharmacists, we had a meeting and say, guys, how do we help these folks? Because we need them to survive. So they cannot go under, right? So we're the ones who actually put a strategy and say, hey, pharmacist, when you see a patient that has no refill, don't just fax the provider. What can we do to make sure that patient sees the provider virtually so mm-hmm. that provider can bill for a visit and we can help them? So again, we solve the problem. And so for pharmacists, go in. You have access to these lives. They're coming to you. Mm-hmm. They're either walking in your lobby. You can take some blood pressure for them and send it to their provider and say, hey, could you initiate a televisit and then give us a new script so everybody wins? Right. Otherwise, when you fax it to them and they fax it back, that provider doesn't win. Right. So what's, what can we do that actually helps them? As well.
0: Right. So let's kind of bring this all back, kind of full circle. You went to pharmacy school. You opened your pharmacy. You got conned into doing a, a residency program with Olivia, and that just kind Con. of naturally progressed Con. into. I that. And I, I've worked we with Olivia, you, Olivia a few <laughs> times, and um, she's very convincing. Yes. Um, but so you take that into a residency program, and then all this stuff is successful, and. Now you're teaching other pharmacists to kind of replicate that model. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with,
3: with that. I think, yeah, it's a, a Vaughan, your Vaughan Institute of Clinicians, and, and I think you're partnering with NCPA too on, on, on some of yes,
4: that. Yes, CPSN.
3: CPSN, sorry.
4: Mm-hmm. So what I did was in the last four years, I looked at things that went really well for us. And I started, me and Olivia said, How did we go from me and you to having eighteen pharmacists in our team?
0: That's a little humble brag there. Uh, A little humble brag. Right. right, right. I love it. I love it. So
4: and I said, how can every pharmacy use their leverage? Every pharmacy owner use their leverage to generate these many jobs, then our profession will be saved. Because when we hear things like there've been uh, all these layoffs from the chains, right? And then the pharmacists are feeling devalued and it's just very negative. And if you know anything about me now, it's like, that's a problem. So how do we solve
3: it? Right? <laughs> right, yes.
4: <laughs> that's a problem. How do we solve it? Because I believe in these individuals. They're great. So we studied our residents, you know, because we've kept every resident. They come in. We give them, we let them drink the Kool Aid (laughs) that we're in it together. We got to save their profession. This is the only way we're going to do it. We're going to collaborate. We're going to show our value across the aisle, but we're going to generate a position for you because it's crucial. And then they do it. So we looked at their first month, their second month, their third month, and then how they grew. A lot of that team who started with us as residents. They are now directors of different departments in our pharmacy, right? So we took that and said, how do we train? Because what I get is a, an email. Someone said, Amina, I heard you speak. Can you help me? And I say to myself, even if I give you an hour, I'm not sure I can really get you to where we are, right? But I'm happy to give you my time. I'm happy to answer because when they ask me a question, I know so many things that they already don't know Mm -hmm. because they're looking at the tip of the iceberg. Right. But underneath it, there's a lot of strategies, persistence, psychology. There's so much underneath it. So how do we help those individuals? So the best way we thought was instead of them coming to shadow, we couldn't have the whole country come to shadow. How do we take the pieces and put them in modules Right? Okay. All our failures into a module. So we started doing that and we did it through Avant for three days. But then we studied, because I like if I'm going to help you, I really want you to succeed. So that's one thing anyone will tell you, because I'll stay on top of you. I'll text you. So what did you do? And they say, Well, I've been busy. And I say, Well, then I need to fire you and you need to bring someone else that can actually do the job. Because <laughs> pharmacy owners wear many hats and they don't implement. Mm-hmm. So then we saw from independent pharmacy owners were not successful compared to when we trained consultant pharmacists. And it's simply because the independent pharmacy owners have so much going on. So much going on, yeah. So much going on. And so they can't really focus. So we're like, okay, how do we help them still? Because they are my tribe. Mm -hmm. I know why they did this. I want them to succeed. So we've worked out with CPSN. And said, could we take our three-day training into a longitudinal, right? And not just train one person, but train the team so they can bring different people along throughout, you know, the modules, Mm -hmm. have recorded version, but then do small group coaching. Just like going to the gym, you know, what's your cycle class? What's aerobics, right? right? So they can start participating into those small groups and eventually, I feel like we will get them there. Because if anyone is going to create more jobs in America, it's this independent pharmacy owners.
0: That's a, a controversial take compared to where you see, you know, like when you read the news, it looks depressing, right? Your line kind of continues to grow or go down. And you're saying,
3: I can grow that. Okay, Right. You know, <laughs> like, we can. Like, and that's how yeah. you do it. Um, all right. So let's kind of, that. that's a good I think piece there to like segue into what you're doing a little bit with uh, uh Troy Troy Medicare and as a clinical director and really kind of managing a popul you're helping them at least um uh manage a population of, you know, 65 older. I'm I'm assuming it's a Medicare Advantage plan for people who don't know what that is. Um and uh I think you guys are doing some things where it's like, hey, here's services to do. Um and how how successful are you seeing? some of that
4: so Troy was meant to come into the market and solve a problem pharmacies are always looking for payers right to pay us however we have some success you know through pilots and convincing but in Troy we can get off the start and say, you're valuable and we're going to pay you. So Troy put in their bid to Medicare. No other plan has ever put in that bid to Medicare that part of their care management dollars are going to go to the pharmacy. Okay. Because Medicare has a guidance that you have to have a budget for care management, but the only one written into that budget is nursing staff, right? So Troy was like what pharmacy does. So I used what I know now in the community and the primary care pharmacists are doing care management all day long. Okay. Right. So that's why we were able to say they can get X num- amount per, per member per month. Very similar to chronic care management. So we were right. trying to manage, we were trying to match chronic care management modules you know, or Mm -hmm. a model Mm -hmm. and just pay them. However, to get paid, you have to document. And we are finding that pharmacists, even with here's the money, some of them are not documenting. So now is where I keep saying, what else can we do together as a profession? Is it because now they're intimidated to document because of the story I told myself I'm not clinical. I wasn't mm. ready for chronic care management. And that's where I'm really trying to hone into. I really think it's a belief. Right? So if by uh, you guys are doing these podcasts and showcasing different pharmacies across uh, the country, is hopefully we can keep saying in that messaging, we're just a different specialty, right? We're a community wow. specialty.
3: Love that mindset. So yeah, you you always kind of talk talk about like a a, sh- a shift in the mindset, right? I've heard you say something like that before, and um, that that's so true. Now, one thing I do love about that though is, and I'll tell everybody, you didn't. Troy Medicare didn't wait for Rutledge, right? Didn't wait for the, didn't wait for legislation to get passed. There, you know, you guys got a group of, you know, I think ownership structures, basically, mostly independent physicians and independent pharmacies, are like, we're going to do this ourselves. We're not, we're not waiting on a, a state law. We're not waiting on a, on a Supreme Court verdict. we we think we're going to put our money where our mouth is and, and go manage these patients to make them healthier and, and, and in a way where this inflated PBM is not not taking it from everyone
4: yes and i've learned a lot and i really feel that in order for us to solve these problems we need more than we need the troy models to come out right you know so if they're different people and i know troy has been very open to say we've already built it if someone else out in another state they have relationships with their with their hospitals and they want to go for it
3: Let's, let's help, help, help them. Yeah, get let's there. help you. Mm-hmm. That's
4: the new market we're creating a new market space.
0: Right. You know, I think that's important in a lot of ways talking about, you know, if somebody wants to recreate the Troy model in another state, that's being encouraged now, and I think that was even part of where independent pharmacists used to look at the other independent in the in their street down the road or in the city as their competitor instead of looking at them as saying, "Hey, we can work together and make it all better." And we're not competing against each other. We're competing against a model of pharmacy that doesn't work.
4: Yes. And the beauty of Medicare Advantage plant, it can exist in one county, two counties, you know. Mm -hmm. It can be countywide. So you can get together and look at where your independents are. You've got the independent doctors. You've got the hospitals. And boom, you can take care of your Medicare patients. Yeah, is the local. hardest thing I've uh, had to learn. It's uh it's definitely a beast, but <laughs> it's it's worth a try. I'm that person is like if it doesn't work, so what? But at least I would never sit here and say I wish we had tried. Yeah,
3: I wish we would have. Right? Yeah.
4: Mm. We just have to try it.
0: Yeah, so this is a little tangential, but you know, you you kind of listed some of the things you do, and it seems to fill up more than one full workday. Um, and, you know, and you do a lot of stuff within CPA and CPSN, and, you know, we work a lot with some of the CPSN and flip the pharmacy groups. And almost universally, when you're talking about getting somebody to change their operational style, the first thing they tell us is, I don't have time. So how do you motivate somebody that says, I don't have time, and you're sitting there doing all of that and then some?
5: Uh, it's well that's my life what you just described is I don't have time but so let's start with personally we we didn't start this yesterday right we started I'll tell you another story I don't know how much time we have but I'll tell you exactly where our whole pharmacy operation changed and why we decided we need to make time I had a it, I was probably two years out of school, so it's been 15, 17 years ago. We we were sitting in the pharmacy. My dad and I happened to both be staffing that day. We heard one of our techs, Bonnie, who's still there today, say, yeah, hon, yeah, we, uh, something, something. I said, Bonnie, what, what just went on there? And I knew this guy she was talking to. She said, well, he brought in this prescription for three HIV medications, and we don't have them. And I told him we'd have it in tomorrow, and he'll be back. It's like, okay. So we ordered $5,000 worth of HIV meds, which we didn't have. Um, They came in the next day, like clockwork, and guess who didn't come in? That guy. Two weeks go by, my dad yelling at me, like, send this crap back. We we got $5,000 on the shelf. He's never going to come get it up, pick it up. We know this guy. We sent it back. Two days later, he shows up. We're like, we failed miserably. We didn't call him. We didn't call the, the infectious disease clinic. We did nothing proactive and so we assigned a technician to him specifically and said make sure he has what he needs when he needs it we'll deliver it if we need to well that started working into infectious disease clinic calls that what's going on with so-and-so because his numbers are real good we explained the process we started getting more of theirs we thought well would this work for diabetes and so we did with diabetes and that's how we started managing inventory whatever and we have evolved to what I was describing earlier we've got community health workers on staff wide delivery radius I and mean, we're trying to do as much as we possibly can had a colleague down the road, actually a um, great friend of mine, student of ours that, that worked for us. And we actually opened up a new pharmacy several years ago and he was our pick and we put plugged him in there and he bought the store from us a few years ago. And he's like, I need some help with X, Y, Z. And I was like, you're, you're trying to do too much too quickly, one step at a time. Just pick one thing and start. Once you get good at that, move on to another one. We've We've worked with hundreds and hundreds of pharmacies on practice transformation through consulting projects or just helping them as a colleague. And the one thing they all try to do is get too far, too fast, too quickly. So just start slow, pick a spot. Usually it's around a metric that's important. And we we always pick inventory as a good one because if you do it around expensive inventory, everybody sees return on that. And you, It's worth giving a tech, a a patient to follow if they're on something that costs $1,500. You don't wanna keep that in stock. You could pay that tech for a long time on that
2: $1,500. Yeah, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of time with, um... Installing pharmacy, you know, people switch into our pharmacy software. You know, they they all time the the, the first week of changing, they want to. Oh, well, we're going to start our MedSync program, and we're going to. He's like, no, 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 no. You need to do what you were doing yesterday today, and then you need to get a you need to get a journey. And if you're not doing inventory, you need to do it first, and then the next, if you don't in MedSync, you need to get into that. So, yeah, I, uh, that's a story we tell probably daily to people uh, looking to make changes. I want to hear more. Um, about the, uh, the new company that you guys started, the yeah, ESPA. Espa. Is that, yeah. Tell tell us yeah. about that. It sounds super interesting. Sounds,
5: sounds like something we should be working with at Pioneer. So tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, being, I mean, y'all have heard a little taste of like, I get exposed to a lot of things, a lot my father does too. And, and back to how do you, we hire very well. Um, we have, uh, we've got former residents and we've got a residency program. We've got great staff, great pharmacists. Um, we, we try to build this team atmosphere, which allows me to be able to go out and do some of these other things. So things are in better hands without me being involved a lot of times, but, uh, that that's, that's how you get there, which allows me to, to, um, help wherever I can with some other initiatives. And what we see very often, really often is, uh, uh, company or a startup or a, um, somebody with a really good idea that says, I want to, I think this is good for community pharmacy. We see this a lot on CPSN like, wow, this is great, but it's not fully baked. You know, it, it's not ready to plug and play with community pharmacy or these guys perception of community pharmacy and what they actually can do is really different than, than what they actually can do. And we found this, there's this space in between great opportunity over here, great opportunity for pharmacy, but it's just not ready to get there yet. And so there were so many of these things and we had had some consulting experience in the past. We really just formed an entity to do those type of projects. But I'll go back to the sniff. It has to pass the sniff test, right? It has to be good for community pharmacy practice. Um, we really, um, and one of my, and this is one of my pet peeves about working with entities and um, those that are probably watching this podcast have heard this before, but I'm real Cautious working with any publicly traded entity that is involved in healthcare, because if your if your um, allegiance and your responsibility is really on that, you know, it's all based on that quarterly earnings report and not on the outcomes or the the sustainability of of whatever you're you're looking at. You know, I think there's a, a disconnect and a conflict of interest, and so there's there are certain things that we we want to make sure on board, but um, we've got. Some cool projects going on now with some current clients where we're working with business development. We're testing them out in pharmacies. We're trying to bring opportunities for the pharmacies to not only become experts in a different space, but but have these um, uh, non-traditional revenue streams in their pharmacy. But they need—it's like a translator. You know, I've got a, a cousin that's a translator for um, uh, NASA and uh, rocket launches in in, in Russia, and. I I feel um, when i talk to him a lot, like that's kind of what we are. We're talking to companies that that have opportunity. We're talking to pharmacies that need opportunity, but sometimes you need somebody to put the pieces together and and translate the language and the workflow. And so that's what we do. That's what we've been doing with Esma.
0: Got it. So it's kind of like a skunkworks place, right? You're experimenting, baking some new stuff, and then when it's ready,
3: you launch it. Cool. That's right. That's right. Is that really, is, is kind of where those clients that are coming to you or, or those opportunities or those around like employer base, employer groups with like self-funded or fully insured stuff. What, what is kind of not to drill, not to drill down into this too much, but that's kind of.
5: Yeah. So that, that's definitely a focus. Um, we've spent a lot of time building. Yeah. It, it all goes back to translation because I, okay. And, and I don't know how far in the weeds you want to get on the employer side, but yeah, we've spent a lot of time there. Um, so I'm, I'm a, a community pharmacist that employs people with a health benefit. You know one question that is never brought up to me from a broker friend of mine until we we started talking about this, that sells us our health benefit is, it's like, here's your deductible, here's the, the provider network, here's the hospitals, whatever, here's your co-pays on the pharmacy benefit. They never say, here's who the pharmacy benefit manager is or here's what this benefit here, are the restrictions around, you know, third fill goes to mail, mandatory mail, that, that's not communicated to employers. And so we immediately naively went into this market and say, well, we're just going to go in and we're going to replace. This was two or three years ago. We're going to replace the PBM with a transparent PBM partner that we brought on board. Well, then we realize. Man, there's so many pieces to this employer world. You know, you've got your, you know, your underwriters. You've got your, you got to have. There's always a broker involved. You got the, the TPAs. I mean, there's so many pieces. Then you got to get the, the medical provider network. So we started building those pieces with different colleagues that we had out there. And we pitched to several employers, um, CPSN we've taken, I've, I've been working on the CPSN side to take a lot of these learnings that we've had and try to expand that across the country as well. And, and we've learned several things along the way that a, it's not easy. B, um, the language that's being spoken to the employer is not pharmacy driven language. And when you talk to employers about, you know, really for the the health of your, uh, and the benefit of to your employees to lower your cost, it's beneficial for them to use this pharmacy. Most of these employers don't even know what their pharmacy benefit is other than copay or whatever. They don't know about the restricted network that the pharmacy is getting killed on every prescription from this employer. So we're, we're targeting consortiums. And this is every hat trip wears, through CPSN, through ESFA, through my pharmacies that we're working with, through my Missouri CPSN network. We're all targeting employers actively right now to replace the current pharmacy benefits, but more so embed services into these employer contracts where they may lose the first year a little bit or break even, but over the course of time, they're on the hook for the expense of the, the health benefit for their employee. They, they save money over the, the life of this, and it creates local partnerships too. Um, employers are really frustrated right now. They're especially frustrated with all this remote care. Their employees are mad because they can't use the local pharmacy, and they've got to mail order their prescriptions. And so that messaging is not hard, but building the packages that, that, that's pretty hard. So ESFA can help with that kind of stuff. Um, we've I've actually brought a lot of our ESFA resources and, and helped CPS and some local folks with that as well.
3: Gotcha. So if I'm a pharmacist, i got a, a fairly large employer that's in my population. You know, that's something what can, can you they can reach out to aspo and go, hey, look, can you can you help me yeah. deliver some type of package to them that that makes sense for them and and, and hopefully establishes a, a much closer working relationship?
5: Yeah. We've dispatched um uh, uh a um like in that situation, dispatch brokers or a um, a benefit design consultant okay. to those you know those areas that, that they had coverage in you know then you get into coverage and regions mm-hmm. and politics and everybody plays golf with somebody you know there are a lot of nuances but yeah that, that's what we would have done in that situation gotcha. huh.
0: that's cool i mean we we see a, a lot of you know like everybody wants to do like the tpa approach and make their custom plan and um it's just It's not flip a switch. And we've, we started looking at that from, you know, the pioneer side. Right. Just internally. And it's just, you have to plan it like two years out to be effective at it.
2: Yeah. Long sales cycle. Yeah. Any advice to us there? Let's say, I mean, we're an employer who believes in a pharmacy focused health plan. Uh, Today we're, we're self-insured for both the health side and the uh, pharmacy side. Um, Any advice for us? We have a location in Dallas, location in Shreveport. What would you, what advice would you give us as employers? Yeah,
5: so I would pick apart each piece of that that package. So if it's a package that's pre-made, um, do, you know, like say the whoever your consultant that's building it for you, all the pieces, there's savings in most of those pieces. Now the bundle could be put together in a way that you're saving the maximum amount of money as a company, but um, always try to shop that regularly. Yeah, you know,
0: it's funny, when before my life at Pioneer, I worked for DaVita, and um, in that renal care, there was always that medical side, and then there was the pharmacy side. And very few people paid attention to the pharmacy side other than, hey, cost went up 12% last year. Um, And then my last couple of years there, we worked on an integrated care part, and the whole premise of it was, I don't care about the cost of pharmacy, I care about the total cost. And when you look at that as a bundled group, you change the perspective on how everybody looks at, do you want to spend five extra dollars on lisinopril, or do you want to spend $20,000 on a hospitalization? And that conversation's a no-brainer.
5: Totally agree. It's not had enough, actually, that conversation. And it it all goes back to, and this is another rabbit hole, but it all goes back to the siloed impact of of us as pharmacists making really poor decisions for the last 25 years to put ourselves allow ourselves to be put in this silo where our you know the budget that handles our department is totally disconnected from the the medical side and so that's you know that's part of what um, i've committed the last 10 years of my career to help overcome and i know um, my colleagues at cpsn that you guys work with we're we're um, working with them i'm working with them daily to do the same I think we've had a lot of success and I'm really excited about what, what the world's looking like. The problem is, and I keep saying this real loud to anybody that'll listen, the time is now because pharmacies are closing. It's really ugly out there from a dispensing side. I worry about pharmacies like mine that aren't doing the things that we're doing. And trying to get them, you know, it's a full time job trying to get them up to where they need to be to support an area that will help support my pharmacies and make sure that we've got more opportunities. And we're we're behind the eight ball right now. If I'm a pharmacy out there today and I'm like, wow, I want to be like
2: Trip, you know, I need to do more. I just don't know where to start in getting the getting the information, getting the help about, you know, what to do.
5: Where do I go? There are a lot of things, but if I had one recommendation, I would just say get involved with CPSN, Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, and your local network, your local chapter. Like right now, I'm I'm in CPSN Missouri. Um, what I would do is I would sign up. I had this conversation. Like we we just uh, landed a, a multi-million dollar grant for 11 counties in southeast Missouri, which is where I reside, and we're on pharmacies in 11 counties, which we've been recruiting it for CPSN due to this payer opportunity. And, and all the, a lot of them are in this exact shape, and they've asked me the same question. What you do is you, you sign up, you, you get involved with your local chapter, because that's your access to all of these things I'm talking about to me. That's your access point. Every CPSN network, local network, has a network facilitator, somebody that is in charge of oversight in the network. In, in the state of Missouri, it's Michaela Newell, and she does a great job. What I do is I'm connecting every one of these guys to Michaela Newell and some of our local luminaries to make sure they're on the email threads. They attend the town halls. If nothing else, when they get home in the evening and they're relaxing, they watch one of the recordings. Understand what's going on in the area because there's so much going on. But a lot of these guys are behind the counter and they never look up. They're just counting, never look up. They don't know what's going on in their backyard. I just had one of these a couple weeks ago. Great addition to our network. Wonderful addition. We've been trying to figure out how to get them there in the past, but we just couldn't get them over the hump. But they're there now and very involved. I actually, just signed up for Flip the Pharmacy, which I heard you mention a minute ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, huge win for us. Something kind of
2: a, and I hate to have been in this for as long as I have been and not really thinking about this, but you know, one things I get listening to to trip is that if you're a pharmacy and you're not connected to the community, if you haven't met the doctors, if you don't know who the local public health people are, if you don't know who the local plans are, not the national plans, if you don't know who the local plans are who are competing for stuff, you don't have a chance because these innovative ideas are local. They're not a national, right, we're not yeah, going to give regional, you this yeah. national formula <laughs> mm-hmm. that says, hey, here you go, here's your checklist, work this out. You know, the checklist is is being smart and nimble and getting involved with people locally and listening to their problems and figuring out what you can do about it. And that's not, and that's the, the CPSN is a piece of that because that gets you more local, that gets you down to your state. You know, a lot of those things are local, but um, I don't know if we do enough, you know, and and one of our deals, we're all about, if independent pharmacy is not successful, we don't have a chance. That's what we do. Right. And so, you know, uh, that's our motto, you know, to save and revitalize independent pharmacy and try to, you know put the the things that we build and the things we do and the ways we try to motivate people um who are on our platform i think one of the things we need to be saying that we need to be saying hey guys if you don't know these people right if you don't know these people in your neighborhood you're not going to be you're not going to make it and so it's not just about getting efficient and doing your workflow efficiently and all that stuff. You've got to get out there and you got to make contacts and you got to figure out. Now, you may have to do some of that to do it. You may have to get your inventory right and do sync in order to free up some time to get out there and and right. talk to the community. So that you may have some foundation stuff you do before you can you can take an afternoon a week and, and go do things like that. But
0: um, that's interesting. It's one of the things I think we'll have to change based on this discussion today. You know, and I read an article last night um, that said that they're expecting, based on a physician survey that some of the, the American Medical Association did, um, they said that something like 16,000 independent practice physicians would permanently close their clinics or have already closed their clinics due to the pandemic. You anyway, know, there's a, another area in your, your local place where there's a, there's a gap now and pharmacy will have to fill that.
5: Yeah, there's a reason that independent physician in our building called us asking for help with COVID testing because I'm sure she's feeling that same struggle. Um, she knew to call because we would engaged her. I mean, we we are we were you know, she could text me if she needed some help with something. I'd already been in there. We we knew her. Same thing with these others. And I, Jeff, I'm, I'm totally with you. You got to get your house in order first because you don't want to overcommit if you overcommit and fail, you may never get a chance to, to deliver on that again. And you definitely don't want to burn any bridges or leave a bad taste in somebody's mouth. But if once you've got your house in order and you've got the, the basic workflow down where you can deliver on some of these things, knocking on local doors is not hard. I mean, it, you're all in the same communities together, whether it's urban or rural. I mean, you're all in the same, you're, you're taking care of the same people. There's always something to talk about. So um, I, I can tell you, I'm not a take no very well. I mean, I, I'll wear you out just persistent and trying going back because I know that you always don't get a yes the first time. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it is with a lot of these guys. Some of them open up right away, but most of these docs we're working with, the clinics, the C-suite guys at the at the um, health clinic groups, you know, they, they are receptive to somebody that's willing to help. And if the pharmacy puts himself out there and we're willing to help, What does it look like? I don't know. Let's figure it out together. Man, those partnerships are golden. I mean, that's how you want to do. You want to be seen as a local partner, not as a vendor that's coming in telling you how they're going to easy button and automate all your stuff. That's what they're usually getting.
3: If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and
2: follow us wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.